Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 22nd of November. I'm Jenny Tansy and with me reading the news are... Stephen, Hannah Green and Kate Hudman. This week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Our engineer is Nigel Green and working on administration is Carol Hartle. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Arrest After Stabbing, Candle Vigil for Will After Shocking Death, Grand's Cat Shot by Evil Yob, CCTV Plea After Garage Robbery, Inches from Death, and You Will Have to Pay to Park Here. And now I'll read the obituaries. Ian Bedford passed away suddenly on November the 4th, aged 88. The funeral service was last Thursday. Valerie Joyce Bunn, suddenly on October the 28th, aged 75. The funeral was today. John Head passed away peacefully on November the 5th, aged 56. The funeral was yesterday. Michael William, known as Mick Holden, passed away on November the 6th, Age 71, the funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on the 28th of November at 11.30. Gary Middleton passed away suddenly on November the 6th, age 56. The funeral will be at Worcester Crematorium on November the 27th at 12.15. Kathleen Owen passed away peacefully on October the 25th. The funeral is at St John's in Bedwardine at 2.15, followed by the committal at Worcester Crematorium at 3.15. Anne Stevenson, formerly Coffin, passed away peacefully on November the 6th, aged 87. A celebration of her life service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on November the 29th at 11.30. Susan Threadgold, known as Sue, sadly passed away on November the 4th, Age 69, the funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on December the 3rd at 12.15. Margaret Harriel, sorry, Margaret Harriet Rowlings, née Barnes, passed away on the 8th of November. She will be laid to rest on the 26th of November at St Peter's Church in Markley and the service is at 12.30. Gerald Charles, known as Jerry Richardson, passed away peacefully on November the 9th, age 76. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 26th at 10.45. Andrew Bolton, known as Andy, age 48. The funeral service is at St John's Church on November the 27th at 1pm. John Burrows passed away peacefully on November the 2nd at Worcester Royal Hospital, age 75. The funeral service is at St John's Church on November the 29th at 11am. Margaret Silver Eldridge sadly passed away on October the 23rd, age 79. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 28th at 1 o'clock. Dorothy Alice Hatfield passed away at the Priory Care Home in Droitwich, aged 104. The funeral at Wye Forest Crematorium is on the 29th of November at 11.30. Ronald Williams Hold, sorry, Holland known as Ron of Spetchley, passed away peacefully on November the 7th, aged 87. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 26th at 1.45. Graham Robert Fairfax Stubbs, retired lecturer at Worcester Technical College, 
sadly passed away at Mowbray Nursing Home on October the 31st, aged 80. The service to celebrate his life will be at Worcester Crematorium on November the 28th at 3.15. Stephen Turner, um, the 9th of the 1st, 1949, to the 13th of the 11th, 2018. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on November the 26th at 10 a.m. John Dinsdale died on November the 9th, age 70. The funeral service is at St. John's Church on November the 28th at 1 o'clock, followed by internment at St. John's Cemetery. Margaret Mary Gale, now it could be Gale, I'm not sure, which is G-A-L-L-E, passed away peacefully at the Worcester Royal Hospital on November the 10th. A memorial service will take place at 12 noon on November the 30th at St. Wollstone's Church, Vale Road in Stourport. Denise Amanda Griffin, nay Griffiths, passed away peacefully at St. Richard's Hospice on November the 9th, age 56. The celebration of Denise's life will take place at Stanbrook Abbey Hotel Sorry, on the 2nd of December at 1pm. Molly Reese passed away peacefully on November the 18th on her, at her 93rd year. The service of Thanksgiving will be held at St. Mary's Church in Broadwas on Tem on December the 7th at 11 o'clock. And our thoughts and prayers go with all the family. Families, sorry. The reading um, for tonight, thought of the day, is Matthew 9, verses 27 to 30. Two blind men followed Jesus, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. And I'll pass you now to Stephen for our first headline. Arrest after stabbing. Residents are in shock after an alleged stabbing in a Worcester street. A 54-year-old man from Worcester has been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder after the alleged stabbing at a house in Tolodyne late on Tuesday night. Officers arrived at number 36 Avon Road in Tolodyne at around 12.30am on Wednesday and found that a man in his 20s had been the victim of a serious assault, believed to be a stabbing. The man was taken to hospital and treated for his injuries, which are not thought to be life-threatening. A resident who saw the incident told the Worcester News, I saw a man on the floor being resuscitated. Police cordoned off the property and brought in forensic dogs to investigate the scene. Residents in Avon Road and the wider Tolodyne area said they were shocked by the incident. One neighbour told the Worcester News, We saw the police turn up with dogs and they were here for a long time. Commenting on the alleged stabbing, the neighbour added, It is a shame because they seem like nice guys normally. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said yesterday, Police attended a premises on Avon Road in Worcester at around 12.30am yesterday morning, Wednesday, following a report of concern for the welfare of a man. One attendance, a man in his 20s, was located who had been the victim of a serious assault. He was treated at the scene by officers and was taken to hospital by ambulance. His injuries are not currently believed to be life-threatening. 
The scene guard remained in place yesterday while officers conducted inquiries. Anyone with information on the incident should call police on 101. And the headline for Saturday, November 17th was Candlelit Vigil for Will After Shock Death. Friends united to pay tribute to a young man who apparently took his own life after posting a goodbye message on Facebook. They were saying he was a lovely lad who always had a smile on his cheeky face. Will Evans, who was 28 and worked at Han Bao restaurant in Worcester and lived in Malvern, had a passion for music and skating and was described as a fantastic dad to his young daughter. Around 30 of Will's friends and family gathered at Victoria Skate Park in Malvern on Thursday to light candles and release 30 lanterns into the sky, all with messages dedicated to him. Gemma Henton, a friend, said, A group of us decided to do something to remember him and show how much we love him. We all got a lantern each and wrote on it how much he was loved and how many friends he had who cared for him. He was the type of lad you just loved from the moment you met him. Around 100 friends also gathered and lit candles on the common near where Will lived in Malvern. Miss Henton added, everybody wants him to know how much he was loved by so many people. Will attended Dyson Perrin's CE High School in Malvern before studying music technology at Kidderminster College. He was found dead at his home in Beauchamp Road, Malvern, shortly after 3.10pm on Thursday, November the 8th, after posting a message on Facebook which included the phrase, I'm out. A West Midlands ambulance service spokesman confirmed that an emergency call was made at 3.11pm with a male declared dead at the scene. A GoFundMe page has been launched to raise money for Will's family and more than £740 has been donated so far. If you are suffering with suicidal thoughts, you can contact Samaritans in confidence for free from any phone on 116123, even a mobile without credit. You can also email joe at samaritans.org or go to www.samaritans.org to find details of your local branch of Samaritans where you can talk to one of its volunteers face-to-face. The headline for Monday, November the 19th. Grand's cat shot by evil yob. A grandmother is distraught after her cat, given to her after her husband died, was shot with an air rifle by an evil yob. Lucy Nicklin gave her pet cat to her nan, Sonia Nicklin, earlier this year to help the 75-year-old combat her loneliness following the death of her partner, Brian. Last weekend, Belle ran into her owner's home in Kemsey and was terrified to leave the house, said Lucy, 22. A couple of days later, with the one-year-old black cat still worried to go outside, Sonia found a lump on her stomach and took her to the vet. She thought it was a tick at first. It turned out she had been shot by someone, said Lucy, who also lives in Kemsey with her child and fiancé. 
The family believe Bell was shot by a teenager who would be under the legal age to use such a firearm without supervision, with the vet having found a, a .22 rifle pellet still lodged in the cat's stomach. Lucy said they confronted the youth who allegedly told them his friend had shot the cat. She claimed he said he wished his friend had a better shot because it wouldn't have been in the stomach, it would have been in the head. Lucy said, I just think this would be good to raise awareness to all the cat owners out there that there are some evil people that shoot animals, causing them unnecessary pain and suffering. Sonia has lived in her home in Kemsey for over 50 years and became lonely after her husband died last September. I hadn't had Belle very long when I gave her to my nan because she was just all, all on her own, said Lucy. Now it's just her and the cat together. Belle is currently on antibiotics and cannot go outside until she's off medication. Lucy said other cats in the area have been injured previously in a similar way, with a neighbour's cat also said to be refusing to leave the house, and she believes the cat may have witnessed the shooting of Belle and be traumatised. The headline for Tuesday, November the 20th, CCTV plea after garage robbery. Police have released pictures of a man wanted in connection with a knife-point robbery at a petrol station. The robbery happened when a man entered the garage at Northwick service station in Ombersley Road, Worcester, and threatened staff with a knife, asking for money. It's the second time the service station has been raided at knife-point in two months. A small amount of cash was taken. The man is described as a white male who did not speak very good English. He was wearing black sunglasses, a white scarf over his mouth and nose. He's around 5 foot 8 inches tall with a stocky build and was wearing a grey hooded top with light blue jeans and had white socks on his hands. He's believed to have left the service station onto Northwick Avenue. Detective Constable Marcus Hobday of Worcester CID said, we have released the CCT footage in hope that anyone who may have seen a man acting suspiciously in or around the area just before or after the robbery occurred will get in touch with us. We would also like to hear from anyone who may have been driven at the time and has dash cam footage or CCTV from the area that may help us with our inquiries. Any information, no matter how small, may help provide crucial information and lead to his identification. Meanwhile, a councillor is deeply concerned with policing and CCTV in the city after the latest robbery. The staff member working at the time is understood to have been left shaken but unhurt following the robbery. Councillor Stuart Denley Maxwell, who represents Claims on the City Council, said that the city CCTV is unacceptable and that many criminals are coming into Worcester because it's easier to get away with crime here. The same Texaco garage was also hit in the early hours of September the 21st by another sunglass-wearing thief who got away with substantial amounts of money. That time the culprit was barefoot and got away with cash and cigarettes at around 3.30am, leaving in the direction of Northwick Road. It's understood nobody has been arrested or charged following this incident. Councillor Denley Maxwell described the two robberies as a great cause for concern and labelled the, culprit, the culprits as idiots with a knife. It's a horrible thing to happen 
and blooming unfortunate for the staff involved, he continued. A lot of these sorts of crimes are people coming from out of town as they see it is easier to get away. The Tory councillor said it's important not to go jumping to conclusions regarding the incident this weekend, but said it will be interesting to see what the police response will be. Police and Crime Commissioner John Champion will be holding a panel meeting next week, which Councillor Denman Maxwell will be attending. I'm deeply concerned and will be raising the matter of general policing with the Crime Commissioner when I see him next week, he said. Speaking at a planning meeting last month in which an application for a new KFC in the Cross was rejected, Councillor Denley Maxwell had said the council can help design out crime by encouraging businesses to invest in the area. He said, We need to encourage businesses who are experienced and are prepared to invest. This is a business that is prepared to invest. Mr Champion said, I am reassured that the police have acted quickly and robustly to deal with these incidents. They have issued CCTV from the incident and had specialist teams at the scene gathering evidence. Officers have also ensured appropriate support to individual victims and they are working with the business to see what more can be done to prevent them being targeted again. More widely, widely, the number of crimes being reported in Worcester has fallen in the last year and more funding is available for CCTV. Last year I announced up to £1 million for communities, including Worcester, to invest in and modernise their CCTV, which is owned and operated by the City Council. Funding for improvements is there to be used and I would encourage the City Council to make use of it as necessary. MFG, Northwick Service Station, was closed and taped off in the early hours while forensic investigations were carried out by police. The garage manager did not wish to comment further when contacted on Monday. Any witnesses can contact DC Marcus Hobday in Worcester CID on 101 quoting incident 154S 181118. Information can also be provided anonymously by calling independent charity Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 This article is from Friday, November the 16th. The headline, We Must Prioritise. Police must prioritise the most harmful emergency calls, says South Worcestershire's superintendent, after city residents criticise slow response times. Superintendent Damien Pettit has said his colleagues have received an average of 1,500 calls per day this month and it will not be possible for us to attend every incident. We reported earlier this week about a spate of vandal attacks to cars in Topham Avenue, Warnden Villages on Saturday morning with residents commenting about frustrating response times. Simon Holden said police are busy chasing the wrong people and he is still waiting for response after my side mirrors have been smashed for the fifth time. Sheila English said it took an hour and a half for police to respond after someone bricked our front windows and two of our cars while they were parked on the drive last month. Hundreds of pounds of damage, not to mention insurances, will go up, she continued. The brick that went through the window missed my dog inside by inches. She said she would set up CCTV now. 
Colin Reese said the lack of police action to crimes like vandalism have led people led people to this is not have led people to discover this is a problem that will not go away. Superintendent, the superintendent Pettit went on to say, due to the high volume of calls, threats to life or other incidents needed emergency response and must be prioritised. He said, unfortunately, it will not be possible for us to attend every incident as it occurs, and I am very sorry to have learned about the damage caused to people's property, for which they have worked hard. He said that non-emergency response calls are, however, continually assessed around the availability of resources. I believe that we have the public support to make informed decisions and how best to use the resource we have to keep people safe from harm, continued Superintendent Pettit. We seek to reassure victims and support them where they need or they need or wish us to. It is really important to understand what is impacting upon our communities and I would encourage reporting so that the scale of any problem can be identified and together solved. And the headline on Wednesday, November 21st was Inches from Death. Mum almost killed as car crashes into her garden. A mum came close to death when a car crashed into her garden in Worcester. Kate Harrison, aged 53, had just arrived home from choir practice at 9.45pm on Monday, November 19th, when she heard a loud screeching as she was searching for her house key. She looked up to see a car speeding along East Coma and the driver then lost control and smashed into the fence of her garden on the corner of Dolphin Close. Miss Harrison said, the car missed me by about a metre. It was absolutely terrifying. People talk about being rooted to the spot, and it's true, I just could not move. I just stood there and watched this car drive towards me. My legs started going from under me. Bits of the fence actually hit me as they came flying off. There were three young people in the car, Miss Harrison said. The driver got out to check I was still in one piece, she said. He kept apologising and asking if I was hurt. He gave me a hug and said everything will be all right. I was just standing there thinking, what is going on? She said that as her neighbours were coming outside to see what the commotion was, the driver fled in the car, a red hatchback with, um, she believes, was a Peugeot 107. Through the shock, I knew I had to get the car's registration plate. However, after all this, I've forgotten it, she told the Worcester News. I told the driver we needed to contact the police and he quickly got back into his car and drove off. Presumably, there should be a smashed up red Peugeot 107 driving round now with lots of trees stuck to it. It makes it worse that the driver didn't stay. The police told me I can claim insurance off him to pay for all the damages. When we don't know who this man is, it'll be hard to do. Miss Harrison's 15-year-old son, Gabriel, was awoken by the crash. He said, I heard screeching, some person shouting and then a loud bang. It sounded like it was right next to me. I ran to the bathroom window and saw all the damage. I didn't see the car. It had gone by the time I got there. 
Miss Harrison said she is not fit to drive at the moment and both her children, Gabriel and 13-year-old Amélie, had to take the next day off school due to being in shock. I think it's been the hardest on Amélie hearing about it, she said. She's been told her mum was almost taken out by a car and she had no experience to attach uh, to attach it to. When I stop feeling numb, I think I'm going to be really angry. The only upside to all this is that the car didn't hit me, but it was so close. The man that almost drove into me should be made to come and sort this mess out. Nobody at West Mercia Police was available to comment on the investigation into the crash. The headline for Thursday, November the 22nd, you'll have to pay to park here. People will be forced to pay for parking at a popular city park, despite more than 4,000 people signing a petition against the plan. Charges will be introduced for the first time at Worcester Woods Country Park after Council Cabinet member Lucy Hodgson signed off the proposals. She argued that the scheme, which is due to be introduced next summer, will raise £140,000 a year for the maintenance of local green spaces. However, there was a disappointment from City Councillor Richard Udall, who set up the petition against the plans. He said the charges would mainly affect the city's poor. He said, I am shocked and disappointed that a cabinet member has shown supreme indifference to the overwhelming feeling of Worcestershire people and has implemented a scheme against the wishes of the people. The arguments are not over. I'm going to pursue the matter and I will lend a hand of openness and friendship to the Conservatives to achieve a compromise. I know people that take part in the park run at the site that won't be able to continue going there as it will cost too much. Scouts, cubs and community groups also use the countryside centre. Councillor Udall proposed restricting free parking at the site to two hours a day to stop people using the car park for hospital visits. Richard Ralph's events director of Worcester Park Run, which meets at the site every week, also called for a rethink on the plans. He said the charges will mean around £15,900 being paid by park runners per year. I know the proposed charges will cost me £154 as the season ticket won't cover my four hours of volunteering each week. My wife has already discussed car sharing. The charges may affect local people's participation and hence we have made our objections about the structure of the charges very clear to Lucy Hodgson. We have had no response. We understand the green space team needs to be self-funding very soon, but we hope that the first two hours of parking may be free or have a smaller charge. Participation in parkrun benefits is physically and mentally. It is a free event for local people and 144,205 people have completed or volunteered at Parkrun and we have 13,392 local people registered to take part. We hope the council will continue to back the community spirit of Parkrun and support locals who enjoy the park either with their family or with their dogs. Mr Ralphs emphasised that he wanted to thank the council for its prior support for Parkrun. 
Parking at the site from next summer is expected to be free for 15 minutes and then £1 for one hour, £2 for two, £3 for four, £7 for over four and £60 for an annual pass, although the council said these figures may change. County Councillor Lucy Hodgson said the country council... The County Council has been reviewing income generation opportunities across its entire estate for quite some time. With financial pressures growing on the County and the County Council, the introduction of a parking charge at Worcester Woods Country Park would generate around £140,000 each year. Most sites with a similar range of facilities around the County currently either charge for entry or charge for car parking. The charges for Worcester Woods are similar to other visitor attractions and represent typical visitor lengths of stay. Now the decision has been made, we will be working with the Orchard Cafe tenant in the run-up to the charges coming into effect next summer. We've also been speaking to the organisers of Park Run throughout this process. To sign the petition against the charges, visit www.charge.org. And that's the end of the headlines, and here's some stories you might um, be interested in. A couple from Worcester, Massachusetts, have visited our city to celebrate their silver wedding anniversary in their hometown's English namesake. Christopher and Alice Charon enjoyed their visit to the UK and couldn't resist a whistle-stop tour of the faithful city for a few hours on Wednesday afternoon. After arriving off the train from Manchester, the couple made their first stop at the Worcester News office in Hilton Road and did an exchange of paper swapping. Sorry, did um, an exchange of papers, swapping a copy of the American title, the Worcester Mag, with the oldest newspaper in the world, the Barrows Worcester Journal. Asked about their first impressions, Mrs. Sharon, seventy-nine, who is originally from Washington, said, "The main bit when we come in off the train is really cool." It's amazing, really. Something. Mr. Charon Aitay said, I was born in Massachusetts in 1938, and in 1948, Worcester celebrated its 200th anniversary. It used to be a small steel town. It was Clark University, which is still very famous. Our Worcester is the heart of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, geographically stretching from Cape Cod to the New York border. The retired couple said that they were planning to visit the cathedral and do a bit of shopping, cramming it all in, in just three hours before getting a train to London. Mr Sharon added, It's great to visit here for our anniversary. Worcester has had twinning arrangements with the New England city over the years. In the summer, students from the University of Massachusetts also visited the Worcester News meeting staff and enjoying a tour hosted by the paper's editor, Michael Purton. Worcester, Massachusetts, originally named after this city, has a population of around 181,045 people and is 45 miles from Boston. As Worcester is known as the heart of the Commonwealth, it has a heart as its official symbol. The U.S. city has its own daily paper, the Telegraph and Gazette, and television station, WCTR. An item from Friday, November the 16th. The headline, Victim of Alleged Sexual Assault Looked Fearful. 
A doorman saw the alleged victim of a sexual assault by a nightclub owner wide-eyed and fearful after the attack, a court heard. Bushwhackers' door supervisor James Stapleton gave evidence at Warwick Crown Court at the trial of his boss, Darren Pinches. Pinches, 52, of Bromyard Road, Worcester, denies administering cocaine with intent to overpower or stupefy the complainant to enable him to engage in sexual activity with her and a sexual assault upon her at the Worcester Club on New Year's Day last year. He further denies possession of cocaine at his home in Fernhill Heath on January 13th last year, supplying cocaine to a woman between February 9th and 13th 2016 and offering to supply cocaine to a third woman between September 3rd and 5th 2015. Door supervisor James Stapleton said he saw the complainant at the bottom of the stairs in the Worcester Club in the early hours of New Year's Day last year after the alleged sexual assault. A glass collector, Liam Chilton, also said he saw the same woman that morning and she told him Pinches tried to rape her and that he heard the defendant asking for the club's CCTV to be turned off. Mr Stapleton said she looked a bit wide-eyed, just not her normal self. She was worried and upset, and she appeared fearful. He told the jury that she weighed him over and started crying, and when he asked her if she was okay. The following day, he said she told him that Pinches tried to rape her, and she was upset and scared. Under cross-examination, he said she had walked towards him, not run, and had left by the club's back entrance. Mr Chilton described the complainant as appearing distressed and emotionally charged. In his original statement, he said she told him that Pinches had tried to rape me, but from the witness box he said that she claimed at the time she was actually raped. He described her as moderately drunk and formed the view she might have taken cocaine. He said, from my statement, it says Darren was asking for the CCTV to be turned off. A male friend of the complainant also gave evidence. He said he had seen her at the club that night and she later texted him saying, the owner of Bushes tried raping me. He touched me sexually, very forcefully, upstairs at Bushes and no one could hear me calling for help. Bushwhackers general manager Mark Humpage, who has worked at the Bushwhackers clubs in Birmingham and Worcester for 24 years, also appeared as a witness. He said he received a text message from Pinches on January the 12th last year asking him to close the doors at Bushwhackers and another text telling him to drop off £2,000 which was to come out of the till. He said he found a clear self-sealing bag containing a white powder he suspected to be cocaine in the disabled toilet at Bushwhackers placing this in a money bag. Mr Humpage said normally suspected drugs were placed in a safe in the kitchen, but the key had snapped in the safe. The court heard if he found drugs in a club, he would let Pinches know by texting the word mate, which was their code, because texting got some coke going to drop it off to you sounds really bad. He said he dropped off the £2,000 from the till with a further £1,000 from Birmingham, which he already had with him, and the clear plastic bag with an elastic band around it containing the suspected drugs at Pinch's home in Barclay Gardens, Fernhill Heath. On January 13th, Pinch's was arrested, which is when the prosecution say he attempted to wash cocaine down the sink. The trial continues.
Flats for the homeless have opened in the city. A plaque was unveiled at Sir Thomas White Court in Sansom Place, Worcester, yesterday, which would have been last Friday the 16th, marking the official opening of 10 flats. Worcester Municipal Charities funded the new properties as part of its mission to help the city's poor. Jabba Rias, Worcester's mayor, said it's a fantastic use of a derelict site. It also tackles the homelessness issue in the city. It was run down and was a bit of a dumping ground before. Worcester Municipal Charities have taken a lead in showing how affordable homes for homeless people can be achieved. David George, who works for Worcester Citizens Advice Bureau and Worcester Housing and Benefits Advice Centre, said the properties will be for homeless or vulnerable housed adults on low incomes. He added that tenants will be charged local housing allowance rates and will not have to pay deposits, rent in advance or other fees. Robin Walker, MP for Worcester, said, I think there has been a shortage of affordable housing in Worcester. We have to keep delivering homes. The construction of the two housing blocks, one with four flats and the other with six, was completed this year. The site is named after one of the founders of Worcester Municipal Charities, Sir Thomas White, who donated £104 to the organisation in 1582. Homes England, a government housing body, has helped the charity build 37 affordable accommodation units in the last five years. On Sunday, November the 20th, an old promise was kept as prisoners of war who died before returning to their families were honoured at a poignant service in their memory. Veterans in military regalia, standard bearers, young and old, stood shoulder to shoulder at the service in Astwood Cemetery in Worcester on Sunday, planting crosses at each grave in an intensely personal and intimate ceremony. Organised by the Royal British Legion, the service was an opportunity to remember all those who fell in war, but particularly prisoners of war, whatever their allegiance. Old enmities were put aside in a service which emphasised our common humanity and the value of peace. The service began with the promise made to the parents of a German prisoner of war to lay a wreath at his grave. His name was Karl Fust, who was born on January the 11th, 1905, and died in Worcester on February the 21st, 1947. His parents wrote to the Legion in 1962, asking that a wreath be laid on his grave because they were too ill at the time to travel to Worcester to do it themselves. He was one of more than 30 prisoners of war who died at Ronxford Hospital in Worcester. Alan Poyner, chairman of the Worcester branch of the Royal British Legion, said every soldier that is over there in the cemetery was following orders whether or not they wanted to. I think it's important that we remember that when we come hit down here every year. The cemetery contains the graves of seven German prisoners of war and three Italian prisoners of war. With them are the graves of three Polish servicemen and one Czech, our allies during the Second World War who could not be repatriated. Among those to attend the ceremony were the Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Jabba Riaz, 
Thomas Wisnowski at the Worcestershire Police Association, representatives of the Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regiment Association and the Sea Cadet Corps. The service was conducted by Canon Paul Tongue, who said, Let us pray for all those who died here as prisoners and are buried in these graves. Wreaths were laid at the war memorial, followed by the last post as standards were lowered. The two-minute silence followed. Councillors banned the press and public from a meeting to consider dozens of complaints about elected members' bad behaviour. Hereford Council's Standards Panel agreed to review a large sample of the 64 decisions relating to complaints against parish and county councillors and cabinet members behind closed doors. The decisions under review were made by Council Monitoring Officer Claire Ward between April 30, 2017 and September 30 this year. Chairman Roger Phillips asked Miss Ward the rationale behind her recommendation to exclude the press and public. The reason I've considered that it should be dealt with in confidential session is because it identifies individuals, she replied. A number of the complaints, because of the sampling that has been requested, contains rejected complaints where the subject members do not even know these complaints have been made because that is our process. And also it contains third-party data as well. Councillor Chris Chappell said he believed the meeting should be held in public so the fact could be accurately reported. I take on board the substance of what you are saying, but everybody knows nobody keeps anything quiet in here, he said. And I suspect the complaints have said in the pub, at the parish council meetings, or to the neighbours, I reported so-and-so and nothing happened. And probably you've been damned as well by making that decision. If we go public, we are projecting the innocence from awful false accusations. But Herefordshire Association of Local Council representative Richard Gething disagreed. He said, when we're looking at individual cases later on, in some of those the subject person is unaware there has been a breach of the code of conduct, complaints against them. It would be wrong for them to find out in the press. A census summary report will be presented at the Audit and Governance Committee meetings later this month. From Friday, November the 16th. Pupils at a school where a 10-year-old girl was bullied were allegedly told that reports of her attempted suicide were fake news in an assembly. Parents took to Facebook, claiming their children came home from Witton Middle School on Wednesday after teachers apparently told them Lily Joe Caldicott's suicide attempt was exaggerated. The pupil, whose family claims she has been bullied by another girl since starting at the school in September, was rushed to hospital on Monday night. Writing on Facebook, one mum said her child had claimed pupils were told the news of Lily Joe being in hospital was one-sided and done for publicity. She said her child claimed teachers told pupils, don't talk to strangers who ask you about this incident. It's a fake news story. Another parent said their daughter had given the same account. Speaking to the Worcester News yesterday, Lily Joe's mum, Jess Brown, called for head teacher Cass Crossley and deputy head 
Hannah Walsh to resign. Along with three other parents and filmed by the BBC, the 27-year-old mum went to the school on Thursday morning in protest against the alleged assembly and the way staff handled her daughter's bullying ordeal. They locked the doors and turned their backs away from us, she said. They wouldn't answer questions and wouldn't acknowledge us. She said the group stayed for an hour and were told if they didn't leave, the police would be called. On Wednesday, the same day as the alleged fake news assembly, Jess was sent a photo of pupils holding up cards with her daughter's name, as well as get well messages from staff and pupils. I don't understand how they can do that and then tell the children it was all lies, she said. The kids were told don't approach any strangers, that Lily Jo wasn't getting bullied and hasn't been in hospital. If that's true, then where did I get a photo of her in hospital? The mum, who lives in Worcester with Lily Jo and her two other children, said she wanted to take it further. She said, I want Mrs Crosley and Mrs Walsh's jobs. It's disgusting that it's gone this far. It's horrendous. When approached for comment by the Worcester News on the alleged allegations regarding the assembly, the school passed the inquiry to the county council. Marcus Hart, the council's cabinet member for education and skills, said... We are assured that the relevant process and procedures have been and continue to be followed at Witten Middle School. We'll continue to support Lily Jo and her family and also the school. He added, the health and well-being of all children and young people in Worcestershire is our main priority. Together with partners, we are supporting the National Anti-Bullying Choose Respect campaign. PC Rich Reese of Droitwich Safer Neighbourhood Team said he visited the school as well as parents of both children on Thursday as part of a reassurance exercise. PC Reese said he went to the parents and the school to ensure that everybody was being properly safeguarded and going down the correct channels. We are confident that the school is dealing with this matter in the appropriate manner, he added. A campaign to combat loneliness in Worcester has been launched. Age UK started the drive after its loneliness map showed residents who lived in areas in Cathedral, Arboretum, Rainbow Hill, parts of Warnden and St John's are at high risk of loneliness. Claire Thomas, CEO at Age UK, Worcester and District said, We have a rapidly ageing population and it is heartbreaking to think that more than two and a half million older people feel they have no one to go to for help. The fact is that getting older can be really tough and however resilient and however resilient you are, it's important to know someone will always be there for you, come what may. That's what we aim to be for older people at Age UK and we know it makes a huge difference, especially for those with literally no one else they feel they can ask for help. Research conducted by YouGov has found that 2.65 million older people feel they have no support. A survey found that 24% of older people in the West Midlands who felt they had no one to turn to said this left them feeling lonely, whilst 19% felt isolated and 17% felt depressed. The campaign, No One Should Have No One to Turn To, 
kicks off with a film highlighting some of the challenges people often have to deal with in later life. These include coping with bereavement, accessing the social care they need and managing health problems. Age UK Worcester and District offers a befriending service for those who find themselves isolated at home as well as social clubs where people can get together to take part in activities and make friends. The organisation also organises help at home to tackle small chores around the house, a handyman to carry out minor repairs and computer lessons to give old people online access. People in Worcester are being urged to donate to the new campaign so Age UK can carry on offering essential services for older people. Children from across Worcestershire have helped back a popular good cause. The whole nation came together to raise money for children in need, with many schools in Worcester and surrounding areas inviting their children to dress up in exchange for a donation. On Friday night, millions of viewers tuned in nationally to see how much had been raised this year by the BBC Appeal as popular comedy sketches were performed. For the third year running, employees at NPower's Worcester Worcester Contact Centre manned the phones for the fundraising appeal, with almost 100 employees giving up their Friday nights to take the calls with all-important donations. Thousands of calls were made, helping the national charity raise more than £50 million. Dozens of readers of the Worcester News sent in images of the children's fancy dress, showing their spots and wearing yellow inspired by the Children in Need mascot Pudsey the Bear. Among the pictures of children sent in were Kyron, Oliver and Cohen from St Joseph's Catholic School and Toby, Oscar and Ryan from Oasis Academy in Warnden. Fundraising events were held across the city, including in Crowngate, where shoppers enjoyed musical performances and a visit from Pudsey. And Guy Thomas from the Zen Shed was one of the Worcester yogis who completed the 108 sun salutations to help raise funds. Over decades, Children in Need has raised more than £600 million for disadvantaged children and young people in the UK. The charity has a vision that every child in the UK has a safe, happy and secure childhood and the chance to reach their potential. Children in Need supports more than 2,600 projects in communities across the UK that are helping children and young people facing a range of disadvantages such as living in poverty, being disabled or ill or experiencing distress, neglect or trauma. And now a sports item, the heading Nerve Damage. Centre Ollie Lawrence was sent to see a specialist after suffering a little bit of nerve damage to his right leg. The academy ace pictured above has not played since being forced off in Worcester Warriors' Premiership Cup victory at Leicester Tigers at the start of this month. Director of Rugby Alan Solomons had been upbeat over Lawrence's chances of playing in Warriors' premier clash with Harlequins at Six Ways tomorrow at 7.45pm. But Solomons said the club's doctor recommended that the 19-year-old received further medical advice over his injury. Ollie went to see a specialist, so we will see what they say and will make a decision from there, Solomons said. I thought he would be fine for this week, but he has had a little bit of a reaction. 
The team doctor said to refer him to a specialist and to make sure he is 100%. I think the injury started in that game against Leicester in the Premiership Cup game. He came off, then came back on after half-time, but he couldn't run at all, so we took him off. He has got a little bit of nerve damage, so we've got to do the right thing. It's the same with Michael Fatialofa. There's no good pushing a guy into playing and then he gets injured and is out for a long period. That's not sensible. That's penny-wise, pound-foolish. And another sports item on football. Midfield maestro Liam Lockett was credited with orchestrating Worcester City's late comeback at Long Eaton United. Manager John Snape felt the second-half substitute, a product of last season's under-21 setup, changed the course of the match that had started ebbing away from City. Lockett kept his cool in a busy box to tuck in the leveller following good work by James Baldwin and was involved in the move that led to Jordan Harrison being brought down for the decisive 89th-minute penalty at Grange Park. And Lockett was not the only one to be lavished with praise. The introduction of Liam was something a bit special, said Snape. His distribution, quality and close control was as good as I've seen from a lad of his age for a long time. The ball seemed to be stuck to his feet. Sometimes he struggles against the bigger, more physical senior players at this level, but he is a talent this club should cherish and we really do need to look after him. He changed the game. Riley... Kesey was a bit special too. His distribution and the way he fed James was excellent in both halves. George Forsyth was immense at the back as well and took his penalty very well. Snape declared himself content with City's performance despite the close shave and the shipping of a sloppy goal just before the hour mark. I thought we set after them in the right way in the first half and that opening 20 minutes was as well as we have played, said Snape. We were probably guilty of not quite making the most of it in the final third. James got in about four or five times and squared the ball without us getting on the end of it. There was a goal disallowed. We had a couple of corners that came to the edge of the box and we've missed the target. We counted 12 or more efforts at goal with eight or nine targets, more than we had in the whole of Saturday's game, the 3-2 defeat at Highgate United. So, so we were much improved. Their goal was a disappointment. We got caught overplaying on the right when we had the chance to deliver and then got done by a long straight ball. I could only see one of their players in our half when they scored. We had three around him and the goalkeeper to beat. In a game that I felt we dominated in terms of possession and chances, we found ourselves 1-0 down. We went totally erratic after that. That gave them a boost, and while I wouldn't go so far as to say we played with fear, our heads went down, but there was a crunching challenge that went in which seemed to change the mood a little bit. The win sees City up to fifth in the Midland League Premier Division, ending a run of one point from three outings. Snape added, We made the statement in the dressing room afterwards, we need to be winning games. 
Why that doesn't mean we have to go gung-ho, it is the draws that have probably killed us more than defeats, especially at home. And now some rugby union. Director of Rugby Alan Solomons expects flanker Ted Hill to play a big role for Worcester Warriors this season after being released from England duty. Hill claimed his first senior international cap at the weekend after coming off the bench for the final five minutes of England's victory over Japan at Twickenham. Solomon said it was a good call by head coach Eddie Jones to give the 19-year-old the chance to play an autumn test. And he admitted he was looking forward to having the academy ace back at Six Ways as Warriors prepare for tomorrow's Premiership home meeting with Harlequins. This will be tomorrow. He is a terrific young player and I can understand Eddie wanting to give him that opportunity, Solomon said. I am not entirely surprised about it and think he will be better for the experience of working in the England camp and being involved in the match day 23, even though he only got a short cameo. He has not had too many premiership matches before he was thrust into the England side, but he fully deserved it. It's a good call and he has now had that experience. I look forward to him coming back to us and playing a big role in our team. Centre Ben Teo is one of 26 players retained by England to prepare for Saturday's test against Australia at Twickenham. The 31-year-old missed out on a place in Jones's side to face Japan and did not feature in Warriors' 28-13 defeat at Bath last weekend either. Hill, meanwhile, has been released by England and is poised to go straight back into the starting 15 when they take on Quinns. There is a massive difference between Ben and Ted at the moment, Solomon said. Ben was injured at the start of the season. He could not do the pre-season, so he started the season very late. Ben's first game of rugby this year was the 30 minutes he got against Ospreys. He had two or three training sessions before that. Ted has been with us from the start of the season and been in almost every training session. I can't remember him missing too many. He also played in the pre-season friendlies, so he has been involved with this team right from the word go. He is a level-headed, good man and an outstanding rugby player. Along with Tio, Solomons also anticipates being without wing Josh Adams and hooker Joe Tofetti this weekend. Adams is in the running to play in Wales' test against South Africa on Saturday and Tofetti is set to start in USA daunting tussle with Ireland. But Solomons hopes to be boosted by the availability of fly-half Duncan Weir, who has been training with Scotland ahead of their clash with Argentina on Saturday. I don't know whether he is going to play as Gregor, Townsend's Scotland head coach, that is, has got to make that decision, Solomons added. Of course we would like Duncan back. The two guys that we have a, have... We have a reasonable prospect of getting back because we have had them back in the past, are Ted and Duncan. And that's the end of the sport. A well-known Worcester school has celebrated 150 years since it moved to its current home in the Tithing. RGS Worcester moved there from its previous home close to St Swithin's Church in the city centre. The school then grew from approximately 40 pupils to its current size of nearly 800 at the senior school and 1,250 pupils across the three RGS Worcester schools. 
To mark the anniversary, pupils enjoyed a taste of what the school life might have been like back in 1868. Headmaster John Pitt, dressed in full academic dress, including a mortarboard, gave an assembly in Eld Hall, which was the main hall of the school in 1860s and is named after Reverend F.J. Eld, the headmaster who moved the school to its current location. Head of History Jane Waller taught Year 7 pupils lessons from Victorian times. The pupils took up their slate tablets for writing tasks and also took part in vocal gymnastics to improve articulation of speech. They also completed desk drill, which is a physical exercises performed in class to keep young Victorians fit and healthy. All of the items used in the lessons were provided by the County Museum of Hartlebury. RGS Worcester also hosted a reunion of past head boys and girls at a dinner at the school. Tim Curtis, former RGS Worcester head boy and teacher, as well as Worcestershire and England's cricketer, gave a speech about friendships and the part the school plays in its surrounding community. The catering team created a special dinner, incorporating subjects such as science, where diners had to wear goggles and use ingredients to concoct a unique green explosion drink, and art with guests recreating their dessert based on a still life. The dinner was held in Perrin's Hall, built thanks to the generosity of a major benefactor, Charles William Dyson Perrins, whose father was a former pupil of the school and found founded the world-famous Lee and Perrins, makers of Worcestershire sauce. Fifty schoolchildren raised the roof at a charity fundraising concert to commemorate the centenary of the First World War's armistice. The concert was a sell-out charity event and raised £2,000 for the Worcestershire branch of SAFA, the Royal British Legion and the ABF Soldiers Charity. On Saturday, November the 10th at Worcester Cathedral, Voices of Remembrance was the finale of a partnership project between Worcestershire Symphony Orchestra, Worcestershire Cathedral and the Worcestershire Rivers Church of England Academy Trust Schools. St Clement's Church of England Primary School in Henwick Road, Cranham Primary School in Tetbury Drive and Northwick Manor Primary in Northwick Road were among the schools that took part and sang their hearts out at the concert. Worcestershire Ambassadors sponsored the event. The first half of the concert involved Hymn to the Fallen by John Williams from the film Saving Private Ryan. A Shropshire Lad by George Butterworth was followed by Remember Them, which contained poems written by children and composed by Laura Rossi, who attended the event. Miss Rossi's Voice of Remembrance, an orchestral and choral work, filled the second half of the production. The piece featured historical readings of World War I poetry. BBC Hereford and Worcester presenter Tammy Gooding narrated the poems, which included works by Wilfred Owen and Rupert Brooke. Paul West, organiser of the event, said the concert was a memorable occasion and everyone involved in the planning and organisation of the event was delighted with the outcome. The children were the stars of the show. None of them had sung in public before, but they raised the cathedral roof, demonstrating with passion to an audience of almost 500 how they will remember them. Keith Slade, the Worcestershire Symphony Orchestra musical director, said this very moving concert brought all corners of the Worcestershire community together. 
All performers sang, played and read their hearts out in a truly special evening. It was a humbling experience. Kate Brunt, chief executive of the Rivers C of E Academy Trust, added, It was amazing to watch children from nine different schools rehearse and gel together and perform to such a high standard. Many pupils said they will remember the evening for the rest of their lives. The last post has finally sounded for Ray Seal, who was for many years a cornerstone of the Grenadier Guard Association across Worcestershire and Herefordshire. Dad died at the age of 90, having succeeded in overcoming four close calls in the last six months of his life, said his daughter Elizabeth Elderfield. Old soldiers never give up, and he showed amazing resilience and determination to the last. In fact, Mr Seal was also well known to local people for wearing another type of uniform because after eight years in the Grenadiers he became a police officer and served for 26 years including spells as a patrol inspector in Worcester and conducting daily police prosecutions in the city's magistrates' courts. He was born in Malvern and after his family moved to Bromsgrove he went to Watt Close School, becoming one of the first army cadets in Worcestershire in 1941. In May 1945, Mr Seal volunteered for the army, but being underage had to wait five months before being accepted into the Grenadier Guards. In 1946, he was offered a War Office Selection Board, but preferred to remain with his Grenadier family. He subsequently saw service in Hamburg, Berlin and Wuppertal with the 4th and 2nd Battalions of the Regiment. Later he saw active service in Palestine and Tripoli as part of Headquarters 1st Guards Brigade. Thereafter he went to Malaya with the 3rd Battalion and in 1953 he completed his service as a platoon sergeant in the Guards Training Battalion. His daughter Jane Snewin added, Dad completed colour service in 1953 as a gold sergeant and remained a grenadier for the rest of his life in spirit. From 1953 he became an active member of the Worcester and Hereford branch of Grenadier Guards Association Committee, serving as a secretary for 20 years and rising to chairman and then vice president. Mr. Seal arranged many band concerts where considerable sums of money were raised for charity. He wrote and published the book Grenadiers of Worcester and Hereford. Following active service, he joined the former Worcestershire Constabulary in 1953. In 1967, he was promoted to inspector and transferred to the newly created West Mercia Constabulary, as Deputy Commandant of the Force Training School in Droitwich. His brief included training of cadets and newly promoted sergeants and the Force Operational Firearms Team. Inspector Seal then returned to a police duty in Worcester, being responsible for section patrolling, and for a period he also took charge of the Prosecutions Department, controlling police administration at all five magistrates' courts and appearing daily before the city magistrates as prosecutor. He completed 
his police service in 1979 at Droitwich Subdivision. Mr. Seal was also involved with the St. John, John's Ambulance Association and the Brigade. His interest in first aid developed into the field of staging of incidents and the makeup of injuries. He became the first senior instructor for the Casualties Union in the West Midlands and wrote many scripts for competitions. He was responsible for makeup and acting in the BBC series Your Life in Their Hands. Mr. Seal, who lived in Droitwich, is survived by his wife of 67 years, Betty, their two daughters, Jane Snewin and Elizabeth Elderfield, two grandsons, one granddaughter and one great-granddaughter. His funeral will be at Worcester Cathedral on December the 5th at 2pm, followed by a private family committal. A new petition has been launched calling for the County Council to protect drivers and pedestrians by installing a crossing and redesigning a very dangerous junction in Worcester. The latest petition comes six years after traffic issues at the junction of Belford Road and Astwood Road were first raised and councillors and members from the city's Green Party want Worcestershire County Council to say the problem hasn't gone away. Councillor Matthew Jenkins said we have been working with council officers to try and find a solution for quite a while. Traffic lights was one of the suggestions, but that was not feasible. It is an ongoing issue and we have been raising it for a long time. It is a busy road at most times of the day, especially during rush hour. There are schools, a shop and the tip, and all of that together it and it becomes a huge add all of that together and it becomes a huge problem. The focus for us is on safety, but also tackling congestion as a secondary thing. Any political pressure that we can add, we will. Marjorie Bissett, chairman of Worcester Green Party, said it is a very dangerous junction both for pedestrians and car users. I believe there have been a number of other attempts to get the junction changed. Tudor Grange School is just up Belford Road from the junction and many pupils have to cross the road every day. It is a subject that comes up time and time again when we talk to residents in the area. Michael Astors, commenting on the online petition, said, Since moving to a house right at this junction about five years ago, I have seen about eight fairly serious car collisions and an almost daily occurrence of near misses involving screeching of brakes and car horns being sounded. Getting in and out of my house by foot, bike or car is very difficult due to a blind bend to the right on Astwood Road and cars coming round it far too fast. Some kind of traffic calming is needed. The petition is the latest look at the problems plaguing the busy road over many years and is the next episode in the battle between the Green Party councillors and the county's highways department. Councillors Lawrenson and Jenkins handed a petition with more than 360 signatures calling for the installation of a crossing at the same busy junction to the Highways Department at County Hall in 2012. The city's first micropub looks set to become a medieval ale house after plans to move over the road from St John's home were submitted to the council. The Bull Baiters Inn has been serving a wide range of local real ales and ciders at the site of the former patisserie in St John's 
since May 2016, but new plans show the beer should soon be flowing from pumps a stone throws away, a stone throw away in Alfred Taylor's house. An application submitted to planners at Worcester City Council showed a, d- a desire to stick to tradition with as very few changes to the Grade 2 listing buildings as possible. A design statement included in the application said, This application proposes to maintain, protect and enhance the historic nature of the property whilst making it more accessible to the wider community. The proposal is designed to restrict changes so that none of the original features, either inside or out, are compromised. All aspects of this proposal are designed to minimise material changes and respect the importance of this historic building and the value of Alfred Taylor's input. The ethos of the Bull Baiters Inn would also be transferred to the new building with its rule of no games machines, television, disco, karaoke or jukeboxes remaining. The application continues, As an alehouse, the building is practically perfect as it is. The only material changes would be the fabrication of a medieval-style bar and slight modifications to the existing toilet to make it more accessible. This proposal was the enthusiastic, has the enthusiastic support of the Taylor family. Landlord Chris Hankins hopes to celebrate the history of the building and return the building to its former use as a medieval meeting hall. In the application, Mr Hankins said the area at the back of the building could be used for medieval and military reenactments, as well as traditional activities such as Morris and clog dancing. And now four items from News in Brief. Extra language classes are being held at the Hive after places on a series of beginner courses sold out. The adult learning Spanish and separate Italian for beginners courses are both now fully booked, so more have been added in order to cope with the demand. The Hive hosts a range of adult learning courses throughout the year and they are organised by Worcestershire County Council. Conlon Barnett, Adult Learning Manager for the Council, said these language courses have been extremely popular and it's great to see they are fully booked. People in Worcestershire must really want to learn Spanish and Italian. It is important we run these courses to give people who perhaps don't wish to go to college or university the chance to gain qualifications outside at a time that suits them. For more information, visit thehiveworcester.org forward slash 10101. Places on the course cost £50. Patients across Worcestershire are now able to access GP and nurse appointments outside of normal working hours. The three Worcestershire clinical commissioning groups, NHS Redditch and Bromsgrove, NHS South Worcestershire and NHS Wire Forest have introduced the National Improved Access Scheme to enhance access to primary care services. Nearly 1,000 extra appointments are available each week across the county, offering access to appointments at evenings and weekends. Appointments will be available between 6.30pm to 8pm on weekdays and at specific times at the weekend. These appointments are pre-bookable by contacting your surgery during their opening hours. Linda Dando, 
director of the primary care for the three Worcestershire CCGSs, said, We're pleased to be able to offer this service to assist those patients who struggle to access GP or nurse nurse appointments during the day. This is a great example of how primary care is evolving across Worcestershire as we strive to continue to offer the best services possible for our residents. A sunken boat remains in Diglis Dock over three weeks after it sunk. It remains unclear how the Earl sank on October the 30th, but the Canal and River Trust have said it is up to the owners' Worcestershire boat trips to move it as it is not blocking navigation. The wreckage has become a talking point amongst those who walk along the rail from Diglis Bridge along Seven Way past Diglis Island. Prior to the sinking, the boat would depart from South Quay every hour for a 45-minute cruise and was a weekend music venue too. This particular item refers back to the article regarding a stabbing in Worcester. Police have released a man they arrested on suspicion of attempted murder after an alleged stabbing in a Worcester street. A 54-year-old man has has been released with no further action after being arrested on Wednesday following an incident in Avon Road in Tolodyne. A man in his 20s who was taken to hospital after suffering non-life-threatening injuries has now been discharged. Police are not believed to be looking for any more information concerning the incident at just after 12am on Wednesday. Hundreds of homes in Worcester have been lying empty for six months or more, figures show. In September, there were 417 long-term empty homes in the area, homes that campaigners say could be brought back into the use to help families in need of social housing. That means two out of five of the vacant properties had been sitting empty for six months or more. In total, 918 properties were found by the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government to be unoccupied and substantially unfurnished. A government spokesman said local authorities have a range of powers at their disposal to tackle long-term empty homes. Next year, local authorities will have the power to double council tax on homes left empty for two years or more and a premium currently capped at 50%. Worcester City Council charged a maximum on 101 longer-term empty homes. Christmas festivities begin today as sparkling lights will be switched on as part of a fun-packed family evening. The Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Jabarias, who will be switching on the city lights, said this promises to be a happy and fun-filled occasion for the whole family and is a great opportunity to bring the whole community together in the spirit of love, not hate. In previous years, special guests such as, such as Pudsey Bear and Bob the Builder have joined the city for the light switch on, although as it stands, it looks like the mayor will be lighting up the city alone. White and gold coloured lights are being specially hired by the city council to bring festive sparkle to the centre as the Christmas shopping season begins in earnest. Fairy lights have also been installed in trees along the high street, creating an extra magical effect. 
The event will be hosted by BBC Hereford and Worcester presenters Elliot Webb and Malcolm Boyden. The event starts at 3.45pm from Cathedral Square with the big switch on taking place at 6 o'clock. The evening will include entertainment from Luke Swatman, Matt Sheehan, Dharma Burns, Alex Leo, Wu Town Hillbillies and Worcester Concert Brass amongst others. After the lights have been switched on there will be a community carol sing-along for everyone to join in. The event signals the start of Christmas late-night shopping in Worcester City Centre, with many shops staying open until 8pm on Thursdays. The evening takes place a week before Worcester's Victorian Christmas Fair, which will take place from November 29th to December 2nd. Security measures have been put in place ahead of this year's Christmas light switch on. The surface guard system will be used to block road access into Cathedral Square. And this is a follow-on for the uh, Victorian Christmas Fair. Visitors to Worcester's Victorian Christmas Fair have been advised to travel to the city on the bus. Worcestershire County Council will be operating a park and ride service during the busy weekend. This year, the Christmas Fair is celebrating its 26th anniversary. It has grown considerably since it first started in 1992 and is now one of the leading themed Christmas fairs in the country. This year, there will be 200 stores across the city centre selling local arts, crafts, foods and gifts. As in previous years, Worcestershire County Council is providing parking space in the car parks at County Hall and staff to help visitors in support of the park and ride service, number 910, which will be operated commercially by First Worcester Bus. The park and ride will operate from County Hall to Crown Gate Bus Station on Saturday, December the 1st, from 8.35am to 8.10pm, last bus back to County Hall from Crown Gate Bus Station. And on Sunday, December the 2nd, from 9.45am to 5.10, last bus back to County Hall from Crowngate Bus Station. Councillor Alan Amos, Cabinet Member with Responsibility for Highway, said, We're very happy to support this now-renowned Christmas fair and help boost the local businesses and the city economy as one of the busiest times of the year. The Victorian Christmas Fair brings a much-needed boost to the local economy and for many marks the beginning of the festival season. Our park and ride service offers a stress-free alternative to struggling into the centre by car and helps to ease congestion. This year's Christmas Fair runs, as mentioned before, from noon until 9pm on Thursday, November 29th from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. on Friday, from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Saturday, and from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Sunday, December the 2nd. Worcester's only abortion clinic is being closed and sold off, with the service likely to be moved to the city's hospital. The Moore Street Clinic, which also provides sexual health and pregnancy care, is due to be sold by the end of 2020. Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust pledged that services at the centre will be relocated elsewhere before it closes. 
Health bosses said the clinic will likely move to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, although some think the site is harder to get to and more intimidating than Moore Street. Labour City Councillor Joy Squires said, Over the years, many generations of Worcester residents will have used the wide range of services provided at Moore Street Clinic. It is an old and tired building, but has the advantage of being very central and easy to get to. If all these community-based services are relocated to the hospital, that makes them more difficult to access. Attending a centrally located city centre clinic is much easier than having to organise transport to the hospital. It is also less intimidating than attending hospital. A spokesman for the Trust acknowledged the benefits of the clinic's central location, but also pointed out the problems with the current building, including its age. The spokesman added, We have no plans to stop providing any of the services currently based at Moore Street Clinic. However, the environment at Moore Street isn't ideal, and as part of our long-term estate strategy, we have been exploring options to vacate the building and move its services to more suitable accommodation. This would include Ackenbury North, which is on the main Worcestershire Royal Hospital site, and potentially other suitable accommodation in the Worcester area. Moore Street won't close until all its services have been successfully relocated, so the impact on patients will be minimised. A spokesman added that the current three-storey clinic, which dates back to the 1960s, is not accessible for wheelchair users and therefore breaches the Disability Discrimination Act. The Trust estimates that 10 homes could be built on the site, which it plans to sell in 2020. It raised £400,000 from the sale of Shrubbery Avenue Rehab Hospital in Worcester, which has been turned into housing. Patients whose operations are cancelled at the last minute by the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust are increasingly having to wait longer than a month for them to be rescheduled. The Royal College of Surgeons blamed pressure on the overstretched NHS for the long waits faced across England, saying it is unlikely there will be a reduction in cancelled operations soon. The data from the NHS covers cancellations for non-clinical reasons such as bed or staff shortages. NHS rules say non-urgent operations such as hip or knee procedures that are cancelled at the last minute should be rescheduled within 28 days. However, of the 176 patients who had their surgery cancelled by the Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust in the three months to September, 32% were not treated within this target. This was a significant increase on the same period last year when 19% of patients weren't treated within 28 days and gives it the worst rate in the country. According to Professor Cliff Shearman, Vice President of the RCS, that's the Royal College of Surgeons, patients are likely to suffer from anxiety if their procedures are cancelled. He said, it is distressing to have an operation cancelled at the last minute and any delay in treatment could mean a patient's condition deteriorates. 
Professor Shearman also warned that the figures could be disguising the true scale of cancellations as they do not include those cancelled at more than 24 hours' notice. A last-minute cancellation is defined as being either on the day that a patient was due to arrive, after the patient has arrived, or on the day of the operation itself. If a trust is unable to reschedule the operation within 28 days, it must instead fund the treatment in another hospital. It also forfeits its payment from the NHS Clinical Commissioning Group, which funds health care in the area. And that nearly brings us to the end of uh, tonight's paper. Um, Just to remind you, lighting up time is 16.08 to 7.41. We have one birthday to celebrate on the 28th of November, which is Graham Smith, so we wish him a very happy birthday. Um, If anybody else has a birthday that we don't know about, please do let us know because we'd love to wish you a happy birthday. Um, Emergency phone numbers for out-of-hours medical assistance 6 p.m. to 8 a. Uh, sorry, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is 0300-123-3211, and the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. There was a little uh, snippet in the paper when to call 111. Worcestershire's Clinic Commissioning Group is reminding people of the telephone health service available across the county that can help people access the right health services first time. The group, which represent GPs, say in most instances people don't need A&E or 999 and accessing most more suitable health care could result in being seen quicker. If it's not a life-threatening situation, we advise calling 111, a free number which is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The call handlers can provide health advice put you in touch with the right service like a local minor injury unit and arrange to have you seen by a doctor or call you an ambulance. For more information, visit nhs.uk forward slash 111. The Malvern Theatre telephone number 01684 The Worcester Live, which is 611429, covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for Council Matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers 0800, 0800 555111. Our phone number is 01905767766 and our address is 11 Wiles Lane, Worcester WR5 1DA. We greatly fa- value your feedback, likes or dislikes for any of the changes that you may like to make. Please let us know either by phone or drop us a note into your envelopes. We'd love to hear. Um, our website is uh, uk, on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. So from all of us, good night.